This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Mount Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig with details. Hello and welcome to Savor, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about Carib. Yes. And this one is brought to you by my nightmares. Because I had a nightmare about Carib. <laughs> uh, yes, and Annie reported this to me and I immediately went, oh man, we should totally do an episode about Carib. So I'm probably a really bad co-host. Well, it was funny because I was like, that's got to be a sign of something. And I meant maybe it meant we should definitely not do it. Or maybe it meant we definitely should. But I like how you immediately went down to, yes, we definitely should. Yeah. Okay. So can I, may I ask you about this nightmare? Because I am, I am so, uh, uh, my, my, my curiosity is, is, is piked. That, you know, that's fair. Peaked or piked either way. Uh, when someone texts you and says they had a nightmare about Carib, it's fair to have some follow-up questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it was partially inspired by our Hannibal episode. I think that really got into my subconscious. Okay, sure, so, fair, yeah. Yeah, I know. Now the concern is mounting, and you're like, oh, maybe I should not have asked this uh-huh. question. <laughs> um, so to, to, I guess, sum it up in the least uh, terrifying way, for some reason, my mom and I met this very famous chef, and uh, in the dream, she, in the dream, uh-huh. uh huh. And through a mall adventure during yes, a pandemic, and malls are always terrifying, but especially when terrifying during a pandemic. Oh yeah, we found this huge carob seed, like huge, 
a football, bigger than a football, wow. American-sized football. Um, and she was asking this famous chef to give her ideas for how to use it. And he suggested that she hollow it out and put a small child in there and uh, roast it. Oh. And that was wow. essentially the, the dream. Huh. And I beg you not to read too deeply into what this says about me because I really feel strongly that this was Hannibal inspired. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sure, sure, sure. I um, We, spoiler alert, are also thinking really hard about doing a Hansel and Gretel reading yes. Um, yes. in a couple weeks here. So maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it was related to that. I think so. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> But I woke up and I was like, what the heck? This is the, being a food podcaster is one of the hazards. It is. Although that, that's like a very specific type of food. It's not the first type of like bean that, that I feel like my subconscious would glom onto in terms of being hollowed out and putting a small child into. Well, and that's the other interesting thing is because I hardly have any experience with carob. I don't think I've ever cooked with it. I don't think I've ever purchased it. So (laughs) it makes it all the more interesting to me. And I do feel like there was like this air of it's kind of a sweet and kind of like a fancier type food I don't know much about. Uh Like Hannibal would feed me. Yeah, sure. Okay. All Mm -hmm. right. Well, I see you. Yeah, I also have very little experience with carob. I can't say that to my remembrance, I've ever had a nightmare about it. Everybody has to have the care of nightmare, Lauren, one day. <laughs> I'm thinking really hard. I'll let you know if it does. I will absolutely keep you updated. Um, but uh, yeah, my main experience with Carob was as a child, I was I was young enough, early enough in the 80s that I do remember in like elementary school having maybe like a kid in my class who couldn't have chocolate or whose mom was... Your parent, I'm sorry, that was that was sexist of me, whose whose parent um would make baked goods with carob and always being like, This is being passed off as a chocolate substitute, and it isn't chocolate. <laughs> That's not what it is. Um, and always just being disappointed in it based on that. Um mm. but uh mm. but now th- this this has gotten me curious. I want to go back and retry it, but uh, but but I feel like this all brings us to our question. Yes, carob. What is it? <laughs> it's apparently the stuff of nightmares. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the only one. We have some articles coming up, I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, uh, w- w- well, aside from that, uh, carob is a plant in the legume family, um, Fabaceae. And um, th- they're in a branch of, of the Fabaceae family that grows trees and woody shrubs. Um, and, and these trees, and in the case of carob, are these lovely big trees with a thick, large leaves that are great for shade. They prefer mild, dry climates. Um, and not all carob trees will grow carob pods. Um, on, on all of the trees, though, these, these clusters of tiny, petalless, and apparently super stinky flowers will develop. Um, Apparently, they they smell like a combination of 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 human semen and rotting. Oh, well, there you go, nightmares. <laughs> it's stuff of nightmares. Yeah. Um. 
And I will say that if you live in Atlanta or have been here during the spring um, tree blossoming season, you will probably know a very similar scent from ornamental pear trees. Mm-hmm. It's a mm. whole thing that happens. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All, and, and apparently, in addition to that, these ornamental pears, Bradford pears, are just terrible for the uh, local ar- ar- arbory environment. That's a separate episode, uh, probably a separate podcast. At any rate, <laughs> um, uh, back to carob. If pollinated, <laughs> um, some of those terribly offensive flowers will will develop a pod that's, uh, that's green when immature and will ripen into this um, long, dark brown, shiny, kind of lumpy, um, flat, ovular pod. Sort of like, um, like if someone pressed a really overripe small banana flat and, and, then, and then lacquered it. I'm not sure why they would, but that's kind of what they look like. I bet that's been done. You know, humans get up to stuff. I feel like we talked about an art project where somebody just left a banana in a museum and people thought it was like modern art. So I I don't think that this is outside the realm of possibility at all. No, no, you're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, unlike that banana, though, um, inside of this carob pod, um, you'll get a, a, a sweet, stiff pulp um, surrounding a number of small brown seeds along one seam. And the, the skin contains a lot of tannins, which, which gives carob this kind of like smoothly bitter twinge that's brought out by drying or roasting. And uh, the pod can be eaten fresh or dried, uh, roasted and ground uh, with the seeds removed in order to make a light brown powder. That powder can be steeped like coffee to result in a rich drink or used in candies or baked goods. You can also simmer the pods in water to create a a sugary syrup, which can be reduced and used as a a sweetener in drinks or desserts or to produce beverages and alcohol. I've also seen recipes for savory sauces and stews that incorporate carob. Um, my very favorite botany blog called Botanist in the Kitchen highly recommends carob and peanut butter candies, um, as as peanuts and carob are both in the uh, Fabaceae family. So, Ooh. yeah, apparently taste great together. Some traditional Mediterranean recipes include um, like almonds or tahini as complementary flavors. Um, in Malta, some candy makers produce carob-based caramel candies for sale during Lent when regular candies are like traditionally refrained from. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I love a workaround. <laughs> yes, always thinking. <laughs> Gotta get those sweets somehow. <laughs> you do. Oh my gosh, you do. It's true. Um, <laughs> and the carob plant is also the source of locust bean gum, which is this um, kind of gelatinous ingredient that's used to um, thicken and homogenize and bind and stabilize things like um, like almond milk or ice cream, uh, processed meats and sausages, um, soft cheeses, soups and sauces, condiments, even up to like a, like slow-release drugs um, in, in medications. Um, also in non-food items like liquid cosmetics and paints and adhesives, um, locust bean gum is, is taken from the endosperm of carob's seeds uh, inside the fruit. And locust bean is, yes, is another word for carob. No locusts were harmed in the making of this product. Um, more on why it's called locust bean later on. Yes. Mm-hmm. But what about the nutrition? Well, uh, carob is high in sugars, also has a good smattering of vitamins and minerals, a bit of protein, a whole bunch of fiber. Um, it'll help fill you up, but to keep you going, you know, pair it with uh, with some protein, some fat. Um 
Carob is sometimes used as indeed a substitute for cocoa in candies and other treats because it's got that that roasty rich flavor um, and because it's considered to be a little bit healthier, um, in part because it's naturally sweet so you don't have to add as much extra sugar and also because it doesn't contain caffeine or theobromine, um, which are stimulants. And also, also because um, all that fiber means that you can like sub it in for um, other flours that are more complex carby. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it still contains sugar, you know, research on how our bodies handle different types of sugar is still ongoing. Current recommendations include avoiding too much sugar of any kind. Um, also I'm just going to say like once it, like if you're making like a, like a, like a carob bar, um, like a chocolate bar, but with carob instead of cocoa, once you add whatever fats you're using to make that. I, I, I don't know, man. You know, read, read, your, <laughs> read your ingredient labels. I see, see if it's really kind of just a one-to-one comparison or if it's apples and oranges. I don't know. I mean, you know, if you're avoiding chocolate or, or caffeine, then, then yeah, this can be an alternative, totally. Um, but read your labels. Um, Locust bean gum, I'll say, uh, is also considered like a healthy substitute for fats in processed foods because it can add that that thickness and texture from that fiber without adding fat. And yeah, carob does contain a lot of soluble fiber. So it's been traditionally used to help treat digestive problems like diarrhea and is also being investigated for, for different compounds it contains that may help prevent uh, cancer and cardiovascular problems and diabetes and other diseases. Um, Likely the amount of these compounds that you would get from just like eating a handful of carob chips or like baking some into your brownies isn't going to have these like strong health benefits. And as always, before incorporating a medicinally significant amount of anything into your diet, talk talk to talk to a medical provider because the human body is complicated. More research needs to be done. <laughs> What's the third thing I usually say? I don't know. Yeah. Eat a vegetable. <laughs> Eat a vegetable. <laughs> I don't think it's related to that particular saying, but uh <laughs> always throw that in there. Yeah, yeah. Never not eat a vegetable. I mean, it's pretty good advice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, we do have a couple numbers for you. We do. Uh, so, so okay, the global carob powder market is worth nearly $50 million a year and is growing. It's expected to hit nearly $70 million a year by 2027. Um, Europe currently consumes the most, about 40% of the global production, and Asia-Pacific is expected to increase the most in, cons- in consumption over the next 10 years or so as um, carob becomes more available in health food segments in that area. Um, most is grown in the Mediterranean, though. Um, Spain, Italy, Portugal, Greece, and Morocco are the five places that produce the most, and they by far produce um, uh, most of the world's supply. Yes, and there is a good reason for that. Yep. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, And we will get into that history as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. 
Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, Swanson. Yes, thank you. So, the carob tree probably originated thousands of years ago in the Mediterranean. Surprise! Wow. (laughs) Makes sense. (laughs) I feel like it often doesn't, but hey. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I was like, ooh. Straightforward. <laughs> Weird. What? Um, and it has been cultivated there for at least a couple thousands of years. According to Alphonse de Candole, um, I said that in a very interesting pronunciation because this is a 19th century French Swiss botanist. So apologies, Alphonse de Condole, probably. (laughs) Um, He wrote, Carib, quote, grew wild in the Levant, which is part of the Mediterranean, um, probably on the southern coast of Anatolia and in Syria, perhaps also in Cyrenaica. Its cultivation began within historic time. The Greeks diffused it in Greece and Italy, but it was after 
but it was afterwards more highly esteemed by the Arabs who propagated it as far as Morocco and Spain. In all these countries, the tree has become naturalized here and there in a less productive form. And it is notable that it was domesticated so late. A lot of food crops were domesticated um, uh, before written history existed. Um, and that may indicate that that either the wild fruit was useful enough to foragers that, that no one really bothered to cultivate it earlier than that, or that no one cared enough about it as a food source to bother to cultivate it before that. Oof. Oof. Hard to say. <laughs> Hard to say. Uh, Pre-cultivation, though, care of it may have originated in Africa and or the Middle East, possibly as far back as four to 6,000 years ago. Uh, ancient Egyptians might have used locust bean gum as an adhesive in mummy bindings. Oh, cool. The stuff of nightmares. <laughs> wow. I was onto something. I just didn't know it. You were. <laughs> um, and and also around the uh, BCE-CE transition era, um, uh, Pliny the Elder, our old pal, uh, noted that the flowers do indeed have a very powerful odor. Wow. Mm-hmm. What a thing to say. Yep. You know, I'm always sad when Pliny doesn't show up in an episode, so this is nice. I feel like it's been a minute <laughs> since Pliny has made a cameo. <laughs> oh, yeah. Welcome back, bud. <laughs> yeah, we've missed you. Uh, many people have historically called carob St. John's bread as a reference to how in the Bible, St. John survived on locust when in the desert and the temptation of the hungry prodigal son uh, by the husk. And in fact, locust first denoted a carob tree. It was only later it came to mean grasshoppers and grasshopper-like creatures. Um, Carob often provided (laughs) sustenance for the poor during times of famine, uh, but was more often a food for livestock. Again, you know, it's hard to say what was all getting recorded. It could have just been not necessarily of worth writing down, but who Mm -hmm. knows? Mm Mm-hmm. At one time, carob seeds were believed to be so uniform in weight that they were used as unit weights, like a kilogram. Um, And from that, we get the word carrot with a C, Uh, And jewelers have used them to weigh stones and precious materials throughout history. However, they aren't really all that uniform in weight. (laughs) So you could, and people definitely did, rig the system. I love that this is where we get both uh, locust and carrot. Like, I know. What two interesting words, like, and, and two, like, wildly separate concepts to have come from this one food product that, like, everyone was kind of meh about. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. It's pretty excellent. Mm -hmm. Um, Spanish missionaries were responsible for introducing carob trees to North America during colonization. 19th century Italian prince Belmonte influenced many on the ornamental use of carob trees and also the planting of thousands for reforestation purposes. Mm -hmm. The U.S. Patent Office... Yes. Uh, Distributed over 8,000 carob trees it received from Spain and California in 1854-1856. Israel sent more seeds in 1859. And these trees took off particularly well in the southwestern United States. In 1914, the Horticultural Commissioner for Santa Barbara told the Los Angeles Times, quote, the day may come when the deserts will be extensive forest of carob trees. Huh. And, okay, so that may not have happened, 
Um, but, uh, but carob did spread throughout the southwestern United States and also um, parts of Australia, South Africa, and Central America over the next few decades. Simultaneously, um, some of the Mediterranean countries that had previously exported a lot of carob, like Cyprus, began moving away from agriculture and into um, a more, more financial business kind of segments. Italian immigrants working as street vendors in New York City sold carob for chewing in the 1920s. Okay. Um, yeah. In 1925, the U.S. got one of its very first health food cookbooks mm. in Mrs. Richter's Cookless Book. <laughs> and it included carob recipes like desserts made with carob and pine nuts and carob almond milk. The alternative medicine contributor for the Los Angeles Times wrote about confections of, quote, figs, nuts, prunes, honey, dates, raisins, and carob meal in 1932. When Haagen-Dazs uh, launched in Manhattan in 1976, it featured a carob-flavored ice cream. It didn't last very long. And this was part of an entire health food trend that, um, that has been kind of widely panned. Yes. And speaking of, in a 2018 article published by Jonathan Kaufman for The New Yorker called, quote, How Carob Traumatized a Generation, <laughs> he writes about how being a child raised during the 1970s health food generation, uh, this whole carob as a chocolate replacement, scarred many children. <laughs> uh, health cookbooks of the time did tout uh, carob as a chocolate substitute and an ingredient in, quote, confections without objections, as mm. one vegan cookbook put it. Um, so I got a couple quotes I want to share from this article. <laughs> and at the pinnacle of our dietary suffering, worse even than sprout sandwiches or fruit leather or whole wheat scones, uh. there was carob, the chocolate substitute that never could. <laughs> Oof! Uh. <laughs> and here's another one. Grown-ups have mastered this acquired taste for the ersatz, but children have no ability to strike the same bargain. They taste not the similarities between the foods they are eating and the foods they really want to eat, only the thwarted desire for what is forbidden. No matter how much time passes, those objects of childhood dread are difficult to see anew. Poor carob, I may never know how good you taste. <laughs> That is harsh. That is harsh. Yeah. Um, and I know we've talked about this a lot before, the, the danger of viewing something as an alternative instead of just what it is. Just what it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, all, all the time. I'd always rather be served something and be like, oh, man, this is delicious because of this and this and this. Isn't it cool? And I'll probably be like, yeah, totally. And if you serve me something and go like, it's like chocolate. And I'm like, this isn't heckin' chocolate. You're right. Stop. Or like, it's not chicken. Just call it something different. Like, don't make it try to be. It's fine on its own. Yeah. Like all of yeah. us, we're fine on our own. <laughs> no comparisons necessary. <laughs> no comparisons necessary. <laughs> um, and it wasn't just children mm, mm -hmm. that weren't super, super fond of carob. Uh, some farmers fed carob to their livestock in the 1920s, and at least one plant went up during this time, like a manufacturing plant, uh, to extract sugar from carob. But by the 1940s, carob was primarily seen as a not-so-desirable ornamental plant in California. 
In fact, in 1945, a humorist wrote in the LA Times, care for a carob pod? I got too many of them. No. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Yikes. And, uh, you know, it did take long for uh, chocolate, the cell food thing to sort of die down and chocolate to become hip. And it certainly was by the 1980s. In 1982, the Times bestseller was Chocolate, the Consuming Passion uh. by, by Sandra Boynton. <laughs> Boynton. Um, yeah. 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 Um, well, you know, as I, I will say here, as of 2017, um, the University of Cyprus launched its Black Gold Initiative, which is this sweeping research project um, to rekindle cultivation of an interest in carob in Cyprus. Um, and, and their aim here with this project is to plant 40,000 trees. Um, and since 2017, um, the, the government has also gotten involved, um, hoping to use carob to help offset some of the negative economic effects of the pandemic. Um, and it seems like a really cool, hopeful project. Like they're making a lot of cool sounding um, um, beverages and they're putting out a bunch of recipes. They're they're excited about carob and I'm excited for them. <laughs> yeah, I like when people get excited about the food things. Yeah. I feel like I didn't really see much data to, to prove my, my gut instinct, but mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, in the 2000s, there was a, health uh, trend as well. Yeah, for sure. Ongoing. I feel like, oh yeah, certainly. I I think, because I I was trying to remember, like, have I even had carob? I believe I had it in a cookie that I got at Trader Joe's. And I think- that tracks. I had it in a smoothie. I think I've had smoothies that have it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Gosh, I don't think, I don't think I've had it since like 1992. (laughs) <laughs> um and and that was as like a chocolate substitute and I was mad about it. So um so I don't know. Mm. I, I think I think it's time to revisit Carob. Let's revisit Carob. The stuff of nightmares. <laughs> I mean that that only got me more intrigued. I'm like, there's something going on here. My mind is trying to tell me something. Right. Perhaps you're watching too many horror movies. That's probably honestly what your brain is trying to tell you, Annie. I <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but it would probably be trying to tell you that during any month of the year, let alone October. <laughs> That's fair. But still, like, I just, it blows my mind. I, I wasn't thinking about care, but there's nothing I can think of why that would have come to my brain. <laughs> but it did. So... Here we are. So here we are. You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah, maybe it was, maybe like the spirit of Carob was like, I need a podcast to help bring me back to the public light. That's probably it. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely what it is. It's the most logical explanation for this. Yeah, 1000%. Well, our work here is done. It is, because that is approximately what we have to say about Carob today. We do have some listener mail for you. We do, but first we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. 
Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Listener. Oh, gosh. It wasn't what you were expecting. It wasn't. I was, I was, that was You thought it was going to be sweet. Yeah. And then it turned into a nightmare. Oh, gosh. Uh-huh. I, yeah, I'm giving you something to think about. You- <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you, Annie. I'm always trying to help. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> and speaking of nightmares, this is an excellent segue into this first letter. Uh. Emily wrote, My dad is a huge fan of Saver, and since writing out the pandemic together, he's also converted me into a Saver fan. Imagine our surprise when in a recent episode, you two mentioned how much you like Freddie Mercury mashup costumes. (laughs) My dad and I freaked out, and he said I have to email Annie and Lauren with my Halloween pictures. I have a reputation for going pretty ham at Halloween. (laughs) 
I've dressed up as the Dr. Pepper little sweet guy in full drag, painted myself completely blue for the corpse bride, etc., etc. But the Freddie Mercury costume was definitely the weirdest. I did the dumb thing you're not supposed to do and committed to this costume November 1st of the year <laughs> prior. That's right. I hiked this costume up to friends, colleagues, randoms on the street for a whole year and had to deliver. Rather than most Freddie Mercury costumes where people dressed up like Freddie in a Sailor Moon sailor suit, I deployed full pun mode. Half of my body was Freddy Krueger and half was Sailor Mercury. Wow. I think the pictures will speak for themselves <laughs> on just how weird this costume actually was. It was fantastic. It was fantastically weird. <laughs> it was so good. The pun is great. The execution was great. I think the year-long buildup was paid off and full. Love it. <laughs> yeah. We we here on Saver can only uh, uh, state approval for ridiculously intense costuming. So, Oh, yeah. 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 And I, de- I do the same thing, except I usually do it after Dragon Con. Oh, right. right. I was about Next to say. year, my costume is going to be this. And I, I get in the same situation. <laughs> so I feel you. I feel you. But I think this was... A smashing success. Aces. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, um, Carolyn wrote, I've been listening to your podcast for over a year now and had to write in after hearing your podcast on apples. I live in Wenatchee, Washington, known as the apple capital of the world and the creation location of the cosmic crisp apple. We do have a local festival as well in the spring, first weekend in May, Apple Blossom, that has been running since 1924. It's two weeks full of food, fair, carnival, and two parades, kids and original. I also wanted to add in, we were once known for the world's largest apple pie in 1997 and got to attend that event my first year here in Wenatchee. Don't count us out. We are a very proud region for our apple growing. Well, that's a lucky year to move in. Yeah. Apple pie. World's largest apple pie. Good year to join up. Oh, Uh heck. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. I love a festival. I I do, too. I love a fall festival, too. Right? Oh, my gosh. I am... I really really missed the Renaissance Festival this year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's always a good time. Um, Yeah, I mean... Apple Festival, one time we will go. We will make it to one somewhere. Yes. Sometime. Yes, Goals. we will. It's we, we have to. We're obligated. We, have to. we are obligated. As, as journalists and humans. <laughs> the most professional food journalists and humans that we are. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we must go to uh. an Apple Festival. We really do. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you for, for, for writing in and telling us about that. Yes, uh, thanks to both of these listeners. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. 
Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.